although he's going to the head now, mostly toward that body. You know the old story, you kill the body and the head might follow. two minutes into the second half, the power went out. In the NFL control room, there was no panic, but there was an undeniable amount of uncertainty about the cause. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. Of course, as you know, I'm Big D, and it's good to have everybody along. This is the Midweek Podcast, my turn. And I think we got a great show today. I think we have a lot of fun with this. Whether you're a sports fan or not, we're going to be talking sports conspiracy theories today. And this should be a lot of fun because there's a ton of them out there. And whether you, like I say, are into sports or not, Conspiracies are all around us, and a lot of history has been written through sports, but was it actually what happened? So we're going to be diving into that. As always, you can listen to us on Fringe Radio Network, fringeradionetwork.com. We thank those guys, and you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. And we love getting your emails. We love hearing from you, and I hope you're having a great summer. I have a special guest today, and we, you know we don't often do this, but I have a buddy who happens to be visiting, and he is an award-winning sports writer and has been for over 30 years, just recently retired. So he knows sports about as well as anyone. And do you want me to tell your name? 
Do you want to stay anonymous or are you okay? Just say Kevin. It's fine. All right, Kevin. So my friend, Kevin. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you where he wrote or what paper he wrote for, but he's interviewed all the who's who, been involved in sports for a long, long time. And as I say, he has won several awards for his writing. So welcome to the show, Kevin. It's good to have you along. Well, thanks for uh, having me today, and uh, hopefully this will all go well. Uh, uh, it's going to go great. Interesting it's, topic. It's going to go great. So here's the premise of the show. I have not given you a an advanced list of the topics we're going down today. I, I, we're just going to lean on your expertise. And, and if you don't know everything about it, that's okay. But you've been in the sports world long enough. I guess first thing we need to establish is, do you believe that there are conspiracy theories in the sports world? Of course. <laughs> conspiracy theories, for sure. Right. Do you think... Well, we'll go through them. We're going to go through them one by one, and we're going to tackle them. And then you can weigh in on whether you think there's any validity, some validity, no validity at, validity at all. Absolutely. All right. So we're, we're going to start. We're, we're not going to go in any particular order because we're going to be dealing with lots of different types of sports, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, all kind of things here. Okay. So we're going to, so it'll be kind of random. But I think that adds to the fun. So, but we're going to start with the Super Bowl three, which was between the Colts and the Jets. Now, according to many sources, including Bubba Smith, who was defensive end, of course, for the Colts, he claimed, and several people backed him up on it, that that Super Bowl was completely rigged. It was thrown, and that quarterback. Earl Morrill and coach Don Shula were at the center of the fix and that the Colts owner, Carol Rosenblum, had placed a wager of a couple million dollars against the Colts. And to his deathbed, to Bubba Smith's deathbed, he claims the whole thing was rigged because, of course, we know it was the AFL versus the NFC. There was no National Football League. There were two separate leagues, and this was going to marry the two. What say you? I say that Bubba Smith's uh, conspiracy theory on that was is probably wishful thinking. Um, I do believe that the... Um, did you say Rosenblum put down a, a couple, bet? A couple of million dollars. Yeah, um, I believe that's very possible. Against I, I his, against his yeah, own team. I do believe... You know uh, that that's possible, but um, see, they but they that's were, obviously possible. But I, you know, I it w I wouldn't put it past. Uh, but they were heavy, heavy you know, favorites. Why would the owner? Because you would make a lot of money, and if you think that the other team might actually be, but nobody it, thought that the Jets could win. Yeah, nobody. Well, that's Joe, the famous Joe guarantee. Namath obviously did. Yeah, exactly. But uh, well, it's um, it's obviously possible. Uh, the uh, the uh, difficulty of pulling off something like that with two full teams, you know, even if you, I mean, having a quarterback and a, and a coach supposedly in on it seems unlikely at best. I would say, uh, what's your scale? I would say low on the scale. So let's say the scale is one to five, one okay. being very low or zero to five, no possibility right. up to say, five. Yeah. One. I would There's say a one. one possibility yeah. on that. Okay. Another pretty far out there conspiracy theory 
revolves around Cal Ripken Jr., who holds the major league record for most consecutive starts. He played 2,632 games without taking a day off. However, there was an infamous evening in 1997 when it was rumored that Cal Ripken had caught his wife in bed with actor Kevin Costner (laughs) and that he had supposedly beaten Costner and was arrested. And there's no way that he was going to make the game and his streak would have ended. But by happenstance that night, there was a power outage at the game and the game was postponed, thus continuing his streak. And everyone claims that the staff of the Orioles or the grounds crew or whoever rigged the power outage. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Ripken stated that all of this is false, but thus leads to the conspiracy. Right. Well, um, I'm not sure as far as the evidence of did Costner go to the hospital or did he walk around with a, you know, a busted up face, um, you know, shortly after that rumor, uh, or maybe that's what started the rumor. I'm not sure about that. My guess is that it all got, you know, pulled in together for whatever reason, Costner got pulled into this um, thing. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I, it seems like a random name to right. be throwing in the mix to not have some sort of specificity to it. Exactly. And, um, you know, 97, I, I don't, I remember it. I don't remember like the specific specifics about Costner, you know, like I said. Well, about he claims the, it didn't happen. He, he called into a sports show uh, not long after the incident and was being vehemently denying that A, he was in bed with Ripken's wife or that he got beat up or anything happened. I do have a qualifier. It wouldn't surprise me if something was going on with Ripken and uh, that's why in that they did uh, shut it down for the power for, outage. Yeah. And uh, it was very convenient. To, yeah. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. But the whole Costner thing, you know, I, I kind of doubt it. You okay. know, <laughs> so I would I would say a, a one on that as well. OK. A very famous World Cup took place in 1995. And this was in rugby between the South African national rugby team and New Zealand's all-black team. And New Zealand's all-black team, they were crushers. They destroyed everybody. They were, they were going to come in and you know completely cakewalk this thing. It, it was not even supposed to be close. However, the night before, the New Zealand team came down with food poisoning, and there's been all kinds of theories about this collective sickness and here's the most popular so there was a a team dinner lunch or dinner and they were all herded into one room and there was a a waitress named Susie Susie the waitress and people claim that she poisoned their water which was leading up to the final game others say it was milk and according to some she was brand new. Nobody had ever seen her before. And she was obviously a plant by somebody. And then others say that it was a fictional story of food poisoning and that it just happened they all got the flu. The actual team says 
they—they're the ones who claimed the whole Susie story. That mm-hmm. her, she was a waitress. Her name was Susie. She was the only one that waited on them, and brought in the food and the water and everything. And so, I'm guessing that they all because they all got sick. That's the common denominator, right? But there's never been actually any proof that it happened. So anyway, into the story, they got beat, and it was one of the biggest upsets ever in rugby right and everyone was like there's no way this happened naturally (laughs) seems suspect and i've heard some um some other you know rumors of that happening with other teams and other sports occasionally i don't know about this Susie. you know if that was a actual person or she was just an innocent that was bringing the the food in she may have been like done the deliverer yeah exactly so I'm going to give this a three. I think it's a very it's a solid possibility that um, that something was up with that. So when that, you say you've kind of heard this in other places, do uh, you have anything specific? Or I, I've heard of other teams getting sick right before a big game. and Like football, um, baseball? Football, yeah. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, you're going to leave that open. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to hit this one. This is probably one of the most famous conspiracy theories in sports, especially in our lifetime. And this is the 1985 NBA draft. And for those of you who weren't around and don't know what was going on, New York, the New York Knickerbockers at one point were one of the top teams, uh, along with the Lakers. And I mean, they were riding high. And then they were terrible. And people weren't going. And, of course, it's a huge market. NBA was trying to figure out how to get them back on track. And so we come to the 1985 draft where there were were there six teams. I believe there were six teams that were in this lotto. And David Stern was the commissioner, and he was young. He was the young David Stern commissioner. And I got all kind of conspiracy theories about David Stern. Mm -hmm. I think when the book is written... And if truth ever comes out, Stern was involved in a lot of shady stuff. However, this was this is was the first one. And so they had these envelopes that were the size of like records and like 33 RPMs. And they threw them in this lotto bin and cranked it around a few times. And then again, there were all these teams lined up, but New York had to have this guy. He wanted Patrick Ewing, who was the prize. He wanted him to go to New York. New York needed him. Everybody was guessing that this was probably going to happen. And of course it did, but it was so improbable. And this is where the frozen envelope theory comes out. You can also watch videos where there's supposedly a bent corner. You can see how he feels around and looking for the envelope. And so Stern picks New York as number one in the draft. What say you? I say that I believe the frozen ballot or whatever you want to, however you want to put it, um, theory. I believe that Stern had to get his fingers treated for frostbite after, uh, (laughs) after that. I've heard rumor that it's been used several times since then in other sports. Yeah, well, they specifically went away from that eventually, you know, in the NBA because so many people 
believe this conspiracy. I do believe, I mean, he made no bones about his wishes. They did not have a high uh, chance of getting uh, Patrick no, Ewing. There, it was not um, not any more than than any of the other you know, six. And, you know, Stunner. Uh, he and weren't they the last the one in the I mean, lotto? They like they barely made it into the lottery. Yeah, I mean, I think it, they might have had the the smallest chance of all the all the teams in the lottery. Um, yeah, it just it you know maybe it's coincidence, but he clearly, in my opinion, and I've watched uh, the videos of it, you know, off and on for years since, and he fishes around. And it's you know if if there's a frozen envelope in there, he's he's gonna find it. And, well, people have picked apart that video ad nauseum i've seen many many, like frame by frame even the way the guy who brings them out and places them in the bin right is suspect how he puts them in there because he kind of tosses one aside right all the rest he kind of just drops right in on top of each other and then Mm -hmm. one's off to the side and that's the one that has a bent corner and it eventually is the one that gets picked yeah and uh you know maybe the bent corner is the way that they way they uh, accomplished it, either way, or they did both. Um, well, I either think way, the, I, I do think, believe it. In my opinion, I think the bent corner was the backup if it wasn't frozen enough, right? Because Stern doesn't really like when he's reaching in for this envelope, this the envelope. He doesn't really look. You don't see him looking around. Well, for the that's bent why corner. people say it was a frozen envelope, and you know he's he kind of fished around. People, when they do the lottery type things like that, they tend to, you know, move their hand around, you know, if they're picking out slips from a, a hat or something like that. But, you know, that would make it all the more uh, of a workable plot to freeze the uh, the ballot and uh, or the envelope. And, uh, you know, I mean, then he doesn't have to look. He doesn't have to do much other than move his hand around until he finds it. Anyway, you know, I mean, to me, it's like, uh, you know, what he said even before the lottery where he, you know, he just obviously wanted uh, the New York Knicks to get Ewing and to be a big player, which never really developed to a high level anyway, but... um, That's beside the point. Yeah. (laughs) It's the fact that they rigged a supposed lotto. Correct. And... uh, so, yes, I give this a five. I think this actually happened. All right. All right, moving on. The next one is, and I'm sure you remember, I remember this because one of them took place in my hometown of Houston, and this was the Bobby Riggs Battle of the Sexes. So in 1973, two Battle of the Sexes in tennis took place, and Bobby Riggs was involved in both of them. And first, he beat this female tennis player Margaret Court. But then later, he was up against Billie Jean King, and I think most people know who she is. She's pretty famous. And King beats him in straight sets. Now, King's young at this point, and Bobby Riggs was probably in his 50s. At least. I believe, maybe 60s. But he was still a really good tennis player. However... Many people think Riggs threw the match in order to settle some gambling debts because, A, he had bet against himself. People attribute the significant speed difference between Riggs in the first battle against Margaret Court to the second where he was sluggish, wasn't very fast, was slow to react, 
And they weren't that far apart, so it wasn't like he got really out of shape between the matches. Right. Riggs became known as Riggs Matches. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, for those of you who weren't around, that was a huge deal. Lots of people tuned in for it. It was big, big, big uh, competition. And, of course, with Billie Jean King winning, and some people say it was set up that so, so that she would win so that women's tennis would then kind of cross over and become sort of mainstream. Right. Are you buying any of this? That's a tough one. I'm not, I wouldn't have been surprised if she was capable of beating him, you know, at that point and, you know, her age as opposed to his age, how good she was. I think Margaret Court was older, uh, a little bit older at that point. Um, so, you know, she might not have been able to move like Billie Jean King could, uh, you know, when they both played um, their matches. Well, I will say uh, part of it, if you, go back and I, I watched the match again and he didn't seem too worried. He, he didn't seem to be competitive. I will say. Right. And then even after the match, he's like laughing and joking and mm -hmm. because he had won a huge bet. Um, yeah. And that's, that makes me question the, the straight sets thing and all that, whether or not she was capable of beating him, I think is, you know, aside, it's not totally the point, but kind of, well, it's not the point, point because we're talking about is this a conspiracy? Right. Did, did he throw the match? Because if this did, was so historical, and the history books were written on the backs of this to propel women's tennis into what it is today. This was the defining right. moment. So was it set up? Are we hearing factual history, or was it all a big kabuki theater? I, you know, I mean... Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously hard to say, but um, if he was, if they know for sure that he was gambling on it, um, that's a big uh, a red flag right there, I would say. And uh, did it have a big impact on women's tennis? Of course it did, but um, maybe that was just, you know, it was very, it was the most important thing to a lot of people, but to Riggs, you know, maybe just the money was the most important thing. So. I would give this a, a you know, four. I think it, it was a very I think there's a strong possibility. possibility. Yeah. And so what we talk about on this show a lot of times is it's not even so much that it, that it is a conspiracy theory, because it obviously is, is what's the historical implications of these cover-ups. Correct. And of what we haven't been told the truth about. And, you know, they often say that history is written by the winners. Well, this is a prime case. And so right. did she really win or was it all set up to fool the public? Well, and you, you also take it like John McEnroe is around 60-ish right now. He's still active. He still plays tennis. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I think he still maybe plays on the senior tour or the senior league or whatever they, they're doing with that now. But... um if it even exists, but I kind of wonder, you know, how many, how many women could actually beat McEnroe right now? I mean, I don't want to get too controversial, but you know, I mean, I think he would probably struggle with the top women, but you know, I mean, I, I still think it's a fair comparison. Of, I, I doubt it'll ever happen. We'll never know. Right. But, uh, so you, you kind of extrapolate that, you know, did that, is that a, a straight set loss 
even to no Billy Jean King, you know, is that legit? You know, do you think he would his, straight his set doubtful. lose to like Serena Williams? McEnroe? Yeah. Well, eh, prob- I no, I don't think no. so. So that's why I think mm. something fishy was up. Right. All right, let's move on. Uh, another major moment, big historical moment, went down when Muhammad Ali, who had re- just changed his name, fought Sonny Liston. This is 1965. It's a rematch between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. In fact, just not too long ago, the, the boxing gloves worn by Muhammad Ali were sold for about a million bucks from uh-huh. this fight. Yeah, Boxing is... We could do an entire show about all the conspiracies in boxing. Really? I mean, it's conspiracies been, in boxing? I mean, it's just been ripe with... <laughs> All kind of shenanigans, for sure. But this one probably was the big, most famous one for a long time. And if you're not familiar with it, a couple of minutes into the fight, Ali supposedly catches Liston with a quick right and floors him. And it's called the Phantom Punch. The fight wasn't stopped immediately, but Liston appeared to be like, a, he was like almost like punch drunk. No way he could continue the fight. Some people claim that Ali legitimately caught him with this quick right, and it was so fast the camera couldn't catch it. Others have all kind of, there's all kind of theories, ranging from uh, Liston having thrown the fight due to gambling debts. Again, apparently he bet against himself. And there's even theories that his life and those of his family were threatened by the Nation of Islam because he was, he kept, he was calling out Cassius Clay at the time. Right. And, and not being very kind about it, mm-hmm. and that the Nation of Islam was you know, threatening him, so he was like, I'm out. Okay. If you watch the video, amazingly from that time, from a couple of different angles, right. it's like a wrestling match. It's like <laughs> the WWE. There's a, there's a good several-inch gap from when that right punch is thrown, and listen, uh, unless it was an amazing whiff of air he goes down and it, there's no way he got hit by that punch yeah i've seen it several times i agree um i think he took a dive and uh the reasons behind it i have no idea whether or not he was threatened or coer- coerced or you know they said we you know we want uh cassius clay to become this star in in it's you know, uh, in effect, and probably gave Liston money and whatever. Who knows? But um, yeah, but, it, it definitely. I don't see any evidence that he actually hit Liston, and uh, Liston's reaction, um, unless it was some kind of freak, delayed reaction, uh, seems very unlikely. So uh, yes, I would say five. <laughs> yeah. It kind of reminds me of the fight between Tyson and Spinks that happened in like 1988. And Tyson was a bruiser. There's no doubt about it. He had a wicked punch. Right. But if you watch that fight, it was in the first round, and Spinks was in, was in all kind of trouble with money and was kind of, you know, kind of at the end of his deal. Mm-hmm. And the punch from Tyson barely catches him, and he's down. Right. And. Mm. He's wa- he's watching his corner, and if you watch the tape, you can see the corner giving him the nod to just stay down. 
Yeah, that. Uh, but it propelled that, Tyson along the way because he was a name boxer. Right. I mean, I will say that I think Tyson could have easily done that anyway. Oh, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, that seems awful, uh, awfully um, sketchy. It was literally. Um, it was like eighteen seconds in the yeah. first round. I mean, it was yeah. ridiculous. And it wasn't even like a massive Tyson blow. It was just like a tat tat bonk, right? And down he went. It's like, wait a minute, I because I saw Spinks fight a lot, and he he was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't as big as as Tyson, even though Tyson was not uh, a tall guy. Um, well, no, he was probably going to get beat, but that's not the point. Right. The point is, did he take a dive? And it seems to me it's the same kind of dive uh, that Liston took. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very high possibility. All right, so I know you're a big football guy, and that's kind of your main lane in the sports world. Yeah, for the most part, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the Super Bowl between the, between the Ravens and the yeah. 49ers. So this was... The famous blackout. The Ravens, of course, running away with the game. It's like 28 to 6, a few minutes into the third quarter, when all of a sudden lights are out. We're at the New Orleans Superdome. There was no drama going on. They're, they're crushing them. And when they came back on after this 34-minute delay, 49ers made this Valiant comeback. They score like 17 un- unanswered points. And, of course, the Ravens hold on to win. However, mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that it was Roger Goodell, who's the commissioner of NFL. People were tuning out. They knew it. The game was a bomb. And this is the Super Bowl. And a lot of people believe that Rog- Roger Goodell made the call to somehow delay this game. Now, here's my only problem with this. They have no guarantee of making that comeback either way. Right. You still have to play the game even after the delay. And the fact that the 49ers scored 1,700 unanswered points, I don't know how that directly relates to a power outage unless Goodell called down to the Ravens and said, let them score. And I, I don't see that happening. No. I think this is one that I would like to believe was <laughs> true, but I'm not sure. I eh, I wouldn't put it past Goodell in the NFL to do something like that intentionally, but eh, it's probably a two. Um, I think there's a possibility, but I'm not totally convinced because you can't, without throwing the game completely, you can't guarantee how the game's going to go, you know, the flow of a game. So... Right, and that's my only, I would say that's my, my biggest hesitancy to call this a conspiracy. Right. I have no problem believing that Roger Goodell would say, something's got to happen here because we're losing everybody, we're losing right. money, all the, we're going to have to re- reimburse all these second-half advertisers. Maybe they did it for that, and, you know, oh, look, you know, there's a blackout at the, at the Super Bowl, you know, what's going on? Maybe, um, but... Seems like people would that would have the opposite effect. You know, people would bail <laughs> until it came back on again. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it seems unlikely uh, for the most part that uh, 
Do you think it's likely that Roger Goodell made the call to black it out? Because there were no storms in the area. This is New Orleans. There were no storms in the area. There was nothing going on. And all of a sudden, just the the Superdome goes dark. I think, I mean, it's... Maybe they were hoping that their odds would be on their on their side, and uh, that the 49ers would make a push, and it would it would uh, be more exciting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I gave it a two. I don't know if it's enough to push it to a three, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that, I always wondered about it when I was watching the game I was suspect you know I mean I was was too I was like this doesn't seem normal yeah and especially when they had no answer right I mean it took them a long time before they came out came out with some cockamamie answer yeah whereas at the moment you know usually they're like oh we've blown a fuse or a transformer went down and they know right away and they're scrambling around like well I don't know right all right let's go into a couple of theories about probably one of the most Famous athletes, at least during our time, Michael Jordan. Okay. There's a famous game against Utah Jazz in the 1997 NBA Finals. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about this game. A lot of people call it the flu game because Jordan was apparently really sick. It added to the storyline. Everybody tuned in. Is he going to make it? Is he going to play? How's he going to do? And... Here's a couple of the conspiracies. One of them is that it was a sketchy pizza that had been delivered to Jordan the night before Game 5. According to Tim Grover, Jordan's former personal trainer, the team ordered a pizza from their hotel room in Utah. Grover says that five men delivered the pizza late at night and that he, Grover, had a bad feeling about the situation. Jordan was the only one who ate the pizza. And later that night at 2 in the morning, Grover said he received a call saying that Jordan was sick. Of course, they came out and claimed it was he had gotten the flu. Right. There were other people that claimed it was ice from the vending machine that somebody had put, again, like something in his ice or in his water. Right. And all this <laughs> stuff. But according to this guy, Grover, it was bad pizza. Others, he didn't actually have the flu. He had some sort of stomach poisoning or virus or whatever and this all happened in utah 1997 what do you think really happened here i don't know he probably just ate a bad pizza (laughs) or you know he probably got food poisoning from it i don't know if it was intentional probably not um i know i just said that the uh food poisoning thing can be a legitimate thing but um but i don't know i mean yeah, I, it's it's really hard to tell. I have I have a stronger opinion on the uh, Jordan um, whether or not he was suspended. Well, that's in, the next topic. The, We're not yeah. on that yet. All right, so I'd give this a uh, I'd give this a two as well. A two? Yeah. All right. We'll continue with Michael Jordan. Everybody knows that it wasn't the peak of his career, but he was still at the top of his game. And he still had several years left where he was, gonna, he was a dominant force. He suddenly announced his retirement and that he was going to go pursue baseball. And it shocked everybody. Nobody could figure it out. Everyone was stunned. It didn't make sense. And not only did he go play baseball, 
he drew a meager salary. He was like down in the farm leagues. It was so meager, and, and the conditions were so bad, he actually bought the team a bus <laughs> so that they could go around in style. He bought like his teammates dinners and all kind of stuff because he wasn't making any money, and it turns out he wasn't very good. So why would the greatest basketball player pretty much of all time just suddenly quit? And go pursue baseball when he knew he was already past baseball, I'll just say prime. And that should he ever even actually get to the major league, it was years away. And then he was even older still. It was like the natural, right? It was like, right. It was like some guy getting into the majors yeah. when they're in their like late 30s or 40 or whatever. It's not a theory that he loved to gamble. Everybody knows he loved to gamble. Yeah, that's... Uh Completely on the record and on video yeah, oh, as well. So. Big, big money. And it's specifically frowned upon in pro sports to be that blatant about your gambling. And this is the theory. He was up against the wall with the NBA. They did not want to kick him out of the league. So what they did is they struck a backroom deal and said, how about you retire for a few years? Otherwise, we're going to have to suspend you and maybe never let you back in. And you might miss the Hall of Fame and all that stuff, like Pete Rose. Or just disappear for a couple of years, go do something, baseball, whatever you want to do, maybe golf, because he did try golf too. Right. You know, have a good time and we'll see you in a few years and you can make your Valiant come back and Nobody will be the wiser. That's the theory. What do you think? I think that most, if not all of that is true. <laughs> um, I absolutely think he got in trouble with the gambling, um, gambling debts, um, whatever. And uh, the NBA knew about it, uh, knew that it was going to become a big issue and that they were going to have to suspend him if, or, or you know, punish him in some fairly significant way um, if they didn't. So I think, and, you know, he was the uh, face of the NBA 100% during that. He was thing. almost so, the king. He was the face and the king of U.S. sports. Right. I mean, he was, he was a huge, huge. Worldwide uh, figure. You know, uh, icon. And they didn't want to sully shoe his name. You know, he was the first one to have major shoe deals. Right. They didn't want any of that to go away. Not Obviously not just for him. They didn't want it to happen yeah. to them. And um, so, yeah, I, I do believe this. I think it's a five plus. I think it's, you know, 100 uh, percent. And, you know, I think him trying for, you know, playing baseball and all that, you know, is... Uh, he was kind of half. Fun. I think half of it he wanted to do it, and half of it was sort of part of the cover up. Just oh yeah, he's you know trying to be he's somebody like that's not that interested in playing uh, minor league baseball and you know trying to grind his way up to the majors and stuff like that. There's you know there's you know reason. I'm sure it was fun for him, but uh, I think it was part of the you know the whole cover deal that to make it seem like, oh, yeah, he's just retired. He's trying to other things, and, you know, it's all good. Nothing to see here, you know. It's just Michael. 
But so, they all deny it to this day. Right. Well, I that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into another big time huge controversial moment involving basketball. And this is in the Olympics, 1972 Olympics. The United States is in the gold medal round against the Russians. The United States basketball team hadn't been beat since like 1936. Mm-hmm. Just like today, they right. they were they owned this sport. I'm gonna try to walk you through what happened in the in the last three or four seconds of this game. The United States hits two free throws and they go up by one. And there are three seconds left on the clock. So the Russians have to inbound the ball, get all the way down court, and score a basket. That's not unheard of. It happens. However, what happened in this game is the Russians inbound the ball. The ball gets deflected twice, goes out of bounds. Horn everything. Horn sounds. Place goes crazy. Players rush the court. Mayhem ensues. However, the refs put everybody back in place and claim that there's one, one second remaining in the game. A high-ranking international basketball official said that the clock hadn't been reset and that the second, uh, after the second inbound pass, and he gave Russia a, another three, full three seconds. Right. Which was unheard of. It does, that, that doesn't happen. And then if you watch the video, Russia inbounds the ball, throws a lob pass down to the, some guys like 7-2 or something. Alexander Belov. And he lays it in. And even still, if you watch the clock, mm-hmm. the first inbound pass, clock doesn't start. He lays it up, horn sounds, game over. And then that was it. Like, no, the U.S., of course, appealed and they complained and they were denied every single time. And it's probably, other than some boxing matches that I've seen in the Olympics and a few other, like more of the Olympics where the judges score, there's lots of controversy. But in this, this is a game where it's by points. You know, the, the person who has the most points win. And... You know, the conspiracy is, is that the Russians paid off the refs. The Russians had threatened them. Right. And that they were obviously in the pocket of the Russians. And it doesn't sound like that big of a deal right now, but this was so huge in 1972. It almost destroyed Olympic basketball. There were thoughts of dropping it from the Olympics because this was so messed up. Yet, if you look at the history books, Russia won 51 to 50. It stands. And after all the appeals and everything, nobody got in trouble. Nobody got questioned. What do you think? Uh, well, there was a, there's a few things to add to that, too. Uh, Belov got the pass um, after all that previous nonsense. Basically plowed through players and laid it up and it's a clear offensive foul multiple offensive fouls actually in one in one move also uh if you really want to know you know the how the americans reacted to it after the fact even when they did not uh show up to for the uh, a medal ceremony so it was the russians and whoever placed third on the podium 
they obviously did not uh, did not think that it was a fair deal. Uh, the person that botched it the most, I mean, the official the, the officials clearly botched the uh, time the call uh, along with the timer. Um, you know, as far as the inbound, the first inbound uh, pass and all that stuff. Um, the, I think it was a, a FIBA official or the head guy maybe of FIBA um, who ruled that uh, that extra seconds should be put on was 100% false. Or, I mean, it was he actually did it. It was, it was an in- incorrect ruling. Um, that he had no right to make. He was not even an Olympic official, from what I remember, and uh, basically, like not in the shit. basketball arena. Area. Right. I mean, so, he was an official, but he had no right. No, he, yeah, he for had no that, jurisdiction over this. Correct. And then he just adds like three seconds out of you know that had made no sense whatsoever, unless they were obviously trying to give the Russians more time to win, which is what they were doing. Um, yeah, this was one hundred percent highway robbery uh, you know it doesn't even really matter how you felt about the u.s team or whatever i mean that it should never have ended that way what i can't understand is what was the motivation do you think the refs were were paid or were they afraid or like what i could see russia i mean the the, the reality is russia has had a history of uh doping and doing all sorts of i mean they've cheated in the olympics you know, along with like East Germany and, you know, those, those country, <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to strong arm, you know, some of the officials and the, um, maybe the official, the, 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 uh, I'm talking the officials on the sidelines and then possibly the, the referees as well. Uh, the only thing is, is it's, it's hard to control, how a basketball game is going to turn out, even if the officials are on the court or um, calling it certain ways. And I haven't, I've, I've seen the end of it multiple times, but I don't remember like how the game was called or any of that stuff. You know, it'd be interesting to watch that whole thing, but I, I give this a five. I, I think, you know, well, the U S it was not called in favor of the U S let's just say, if you right. watch the well, entire I, game, it's, it's that's more than likely. That's why it was so close. Assume. That's why it was so close at the end. The, the right. United States was going to blow them out by all accounts. Yeah. And it was well, I, would, I would assume that if you watched it right now, you would be just going, shaking your head. I mean, yeah. it'd be, it would be bad. But. All right. Speaking of basketball, we've got to move on. <laughs> so this is kind of a rumor slash conspiracy. I'm throwing it in because I think it's kind of a conspiracy. In 2010, LeBron James, obviously famous basketball player, was having a terrible playoff performance. And it didn't make sense to a lot of people. Like, what was wrong with him? What was in his head? Why was he playing so poorly? And the conspiracy is, the rumor that came out, and it was spurred by Calvin Murphy, who said, oh, this is absolutely true. And then, of course, everyone else denied it. Then people in the locker room said maybe. But the conspiracy slash rumor is, is that Delonte West... (laughs) who was LeBron's teammate, was having sex with LeBron's mom. And (laughs) before you say, well, that's impossible, there were many, many parties that were thrown that LeBron's mom was at, and it was fairly well known that she 
really liked the basketball players. Okay. According to this conspiracy theory, LeBron found out that Delonte West was having sex with his mom. And of course, it freaked him out so much. And it got into his head that he just couldn't, he couldn't play. Okay, right. Okay. And if you follow the, the rest of the story, I mean, Delonte West was traded almost immediately after this series. And everyone's the conspiracy is that LeBron was involved in that, had to get him out of town, and on and on and on. I've seen all sides of this story. His mom's never really said anything about it. At first, Delonte West said, yes, it happened, and then he said, no, it didn't happen. LeBron says, no, it didn't happen, but you would expect him to say that. Right. So what do you think about this? I think it's true. <laughs> um, certainly, as far as the parties and, you know, Delonte West most likely sleeping with his mom, you know, I, I think that's all, you know, obviously very possible. How much it got into LeBron's head for real, you know, it's hard to say, but it probably did to a certain extent. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, and, you know, it's just the whole thing about Delonte, uh, you know, confirming it and then going back on it and then him getting traded, which I remember that happened like real quick. And it was like, yeah, something's going on. So, yeah, I, I, I give that a, I think it happened at oh. five, you know. Maybe a 4.5 because I'm not 100% sure about LeBron's, how much it affected LeBron on the court. But he got traded, if you know sports at all, he got traded about as fast as Golden Tate did when he was supposedly rumored sleeping with Russell Wilson's wife. Right. <laughs> that was a really fast uh, transfer as well. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's move to hockey real quick before we end. I found this one to be pretty amazing because if you know hockey at all, you know who Wayne Gretzky is. Wayne Gretzky was the face, the poster boy, and a fresh face. He was wholesome. He was everybody's favorite because he was nice and he was kind and he was great. And he was the perfect representation right. of the sport. Amazing player on and on. Well... Time out, because here's the conspiracy. The conspiracy is, is that Gretzky's wife and about a half a dozen NHL players were caught placing bets in a nationwide sports gambling ring financed by the Phoenix Coyotes assistant coach, Rich Tuchette. The ring was discovered to have processed over 100 wages worth over $1.7 Now, Gretzky's wife was caught up in this thing. However, the conspiracy is, and most people believe, that she was only placing the bets on behalf of Wayne. Right. It would not look good if Mr. Hockey, Wayne Gretzky, at the end of his career, again, became a Pete Rose. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, any of the other sports figures like a Bobby Riggs or any of these guys yeah. <laughs> who, who, who gambled away their, their careers. And so to protect him, his wife took the fall and his name was completely left off of it. But in reality, it was him placing the bets through his wife 
in this ring? You know, I mean, why not? I mean, I, I think I think this happens way more than people want to believe. I mean, I you know, sports figures gambling or going through other people to gamble or whatever. Uh, you know, is that really a big surprise to people? I mean, I think know, with somebody like Wayne Gretzky, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a little bit surprising with him, at least because of his image. I mean, nobody thought of him as like a Michael Jordan as far as, you know, what Jordan might do as far as even just, uh, what, what was that called, quarters or whatever? Yeah. Um, well, no, I think that's a drinking game. But <laughs> uh, all the different games he played, to, and he gambled on everything, you know, golf and whatnot, you know, so. Three-card Monty. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, from that, that uh, angle, it's, uh, it's, it's surprising. Do you think but it's true, or do you think his wife was just a, the one that w- was, was gambling? Like you know, like I the March Simpson, like the Simpsons episode where March Simpson becomes a gambling addict. Do you think it was his wife, or do you think she was actually doing it on well, his behalf? She was obviously, at least technically, gambling. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's human nature to assume it's going to be the the other person you know if if somebody's connected to somebody famous well you have i mean you have to at least in all reality how would he not know that all this money's disappearing i'm sure he he did and he and i i do think he he probably was at least in on it or was like okay with it if it was her um and it probably was probably was him but (laughs) But you never know. I mean, maybe she just wanted to gamble, and, uh, and that was the way it is, or was. But um, All right, a couple of more quick ones, and then we got to get on out of here. 1991 NCAA championship game between UNLV and Duke. UNLV was an amazing team. Duke was solid, and they're always solid. But if you followed college basketball at all, UNLV has had many (laughs) conspiracies around them because they're in Las Vegas. And a lot of wages go on there, and you can gamble on college sports and everything else. So the conspiracy is is that it was fixed, that the UNLV, UNLV players fixed the game, and they all profited from it because they're in L- they're in Las Vegas. A lot of the casinos sent their sports book guys to them right, and said, you guys are the favorite. There's a lot of money coming in. And if we get a bunch of people to gamble the other way, we're going to share this with you. This is the conspiracy. Yeah. And that yeah. they went out and tanked the game. What do you think? I doubt it. Um, like I said before, it's, it's, it's more difficult to get an entire team on the same page to do something like that. Black Sox. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it has, obviously it's happened, but um, man, uh, they, they were a huge favorite too. Uh, well, so, it earlier in the year, they had destroyed Duke. Right. And I'm looking at a picture right now, and this was put in the Las Vegas Review Journal two months before the game, and it's a bunch of the UNLV players sitting in a hot tub with convicted sports fixer Richard Perry. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I've forgotten the uh, the specifics about this. I knew um, 
I knew there was a lot of weird stuff going on, but um, I didn't know how. It, I mean, that is really, really uh, suspect. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would say um, so. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a yeah, four. All right, last one we're going to tackle, and then we, we're going to get on out of here. And th- this one was a huge deal at the time. And this was during the World Series when the Red Sox were trying to break the Bambino's curse. Right. And all baseball's attention was on it. And Kurt Schilling was the pitcher. And I never understood why it was such a big deal. But during the game, the camera fixated on his sock. Mm -hmm. And there appeared to be blood on his sock. Mm -hmm. He claims that it was a a spot surgery by one of the trainers before the game, but they never specified what the guy was fixing. Right. Like, did he cut his foot? Did he, did he have a, a wound that had opened and they like, he never explained it. Right. And so I'm not even sure where the conspiracy comes in, but it became such a big deal. And then everybody was weighing in on whether it was real or was it paint? Was it fake? Was it to throw off the batters? Was it a was it a signal? Was it like everyone weighed in on this thing, and it became such a big topic, and it's kind of died down. But I don't think we ever got an answer on this. Thing. No, um, I think he was probably hurt and maybe pulled some stitches or something. The reality is, well, I, I believe that um, wasn't Schilling pretty close to the vest anyway just about Very a lot of stuff so. he was yes. kind of brusque with everybody and stuff so that may explain you know why we really didn't hear uh any the, kind don't of, you think uh, the cr- trainer would come out and say well hey i, I mean, mean possibly he, he but a stitch and- for all i know Schilling told him not to, not to say anything but uh no. i don't it, it's like yeah i mean i can't imagine too many things that he could have used to his advantage by having what looked like a it, bloody if, spot on his even if it was sock, but, paint, you know, who cares? You're right, right. So my my guess is that it's kind of a not much to it, and that Schilling's just being kind of a you know his normal self, and yeah. you know not really wanting to talk to people about it. And I, I'm just going to throw this you know. in because it's not really a conspiracy, uh, although there's debate as to what actually happened. But there was a cross-country flight when Wade Boggs was playing. And he was with the Yankees. And they were, I think, heading over to play the Mariners. So they are going coast to coast. And the rumor is is that during the flight, he drank 100 beers. <laughs> and then they landed you know, really early in the morning. And they had like the game at 7 o'clock. And that he was either still hammered or very hungover. Now, I've also seen that it wasn't 100, but it was like a couple of cases. I've heard Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. The fact that the dude, a la Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, (laughs) who was the guy guy that was Doc Rivers? Right. Who did PCP or whatever? Yeah. (laughs) Threw a no-hitter. Doc Gooden. 
was yeah, doing a lot well, of drugs. Getting, being, having a hangover or still being drunk is certainly not the greatest uh, performance, performance enhancer you could do. Um, before do you think game, you could so. have actually consumed 100 beers? No. I don't either. No. I... Well, you, the I couldn't find it, but I was trying to find. Okay, what's the because t- it's a private flight, right? So right. you can't find what the. Schedule I'm not sure is. you could even get through. I mean, even if you could physically drink that many beers, which I don't. I mean, maybe Andre the Giant could. Well, what's a um, what's a cross country flight? Is it six hours? Yeah, six seven hours. It depends. They would be flying nonstop, I assume, if they were you know doing. So if it's a hundred beers. Um, six hours. There's no way. I, I mean, I don't think. I, I mean, I don't, I don't. I think he would die anyway before he <laughs> that's got. That's what there. I said. I, mean, I but, think he'd have alcohol poisoning. But uh, yeah. um, well, alcohol poisoning's not funny. But I, you know, you know, people would drink a lot. They could. He could pound down a lot. I'm sure. But yeah, maybe. A, I'm sure a, the maybe a couple of maybe a case, maybe a few six packs. But right, I can't imagine a hundred. I think the hundred the hundred number is just people Folklore. people going. You know making it seem way bigger than it is but so before we get on out of here i know you've had a long history in sports and and writing sports witnessing sports being there at big games interviewing some of the top people in sports is there a conspiracy that we missed or is there anything that you can lend to us that you've either witnessed heard about or is very you know, conspiratorial that we haven't heard about live. It could be live or it could be a game you're at or rumors you've heard or, or anything. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, obviously we mentioned it before, but the uh, early on uh, about the um, food poisoning type stuff, I've, I've been around a team that, that happened to supposedly um, nobody would I mean, a whole bunch of players got sick in a uh, specific situation where it would make sense that, you know, that could possibly happen and uh, because, you know, the other team would want to win. I mean, people, I don't think the other team had anything to do with it if it did happen that way, but somebody supporting that team, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that... Um, Otherwise, it's just the normal people complaining about how uh, certain conferences handle certain teams or and favor teams over other teams in college sports or, you know, officials, um, you know, lots of fans, of course, complain about officials. I don't know. That's not much of a conspiracy theory, but... Um, so nothing nothing major other than, yes, I've I've been around... Uh, real close to a team that got uh, food poisoning at one point before a big game. So. All right, one last question in this uh, in this sort of arena. Outside of boxing, which I think everybody would agree is one of, if not the most fixed sports that's not an entertainment-style sport like wrestling. Okay? Mm-hmm. Outside of boxing, your opinion... What do you believe is the most fixed outcome sport, mainstream sport that's out there? I think the NBA under David Stern was probably the most. I mean, you got the Donahue, um, 
the ref, the, the ref, yeah, and that that whole business, um, and a lot of rumors about how uh, David Stern just conducted everything, including the uh, the uh, frozen envelope. <laughs> uh, that probably, I mean, I I don't know so much. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about that after he left, and then eventually he's he's passed on. But um, currently. Probably uh, the way college sports in general uh, are kind of beholden to, um, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory so much as kind of just a whole sketchy kind of wrong thing, like with ESPN and all that, and kind of supposedly, I guess it is a conspiracy theory, you know, things get manipulated because of, of TV instead of actually wanting uh, teams, you know, they they would rather have specific schools be successful on a consistent basis because it draws more viewers um, than half the other teams. So, all right, there you have it, everybody. That is the sports conspiracy show for today. Kevin, thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me. And there's a lot more out there. So the next time you come back, we'll have to do this again. And we'll go down the rabbit hole on some more of the sports. Because I have a, I have pages of them. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. We'd love to have you back. All right. Everybody have a great week. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday. And we'll be continuing our series on the Illuminati families. In the meantime, email us at downtherh at protonmail.com if you have some topics that you'd like us to cover. And we will see you back here on Sunday. I'm Big D. I'm out of here.